similar to there being so much good music this year, there have been like so many good lessons this year, hard learned lessons that come from, you know, self-reflection and like re-examining our priorities, which, you know, this year has forced us all to do. Last episode of Let It Out of 2020. <laughs> we did it. We're taking two weeks off at the end of the year. We'll be back in the new year with new guests, new style, new Happy Thank You More Please episodes, new Spiraling episodes with Serena and I. Spiraling is the mental health podcast I co-host with Serena. It's a separate podcast. But anyway, if you've been here for a while, you know the drill. I talk to people that I know, sometimes I don't know, and ask them anything that I'm curious about. I've been doing it since 2013. I hope I'm doing it for seven more years. I have gotten to meet so many cool people through the people who listen to this podcast, the people I interview. It's my favorite thing that I've ever done. If you want to start a podcast, I highly encourage it. Email me. I'll help you. This is it. You know, this episode, I decided to record just a couple days ago, my good friend James and I, you'll hear all about this in the next couple of minutes, but he and I have similar taste in music. He's one of my favorite people to talk about music to. And 2020 was such a tremendous year, music wise, <laughs> very bizarre year in every other respect, but so much great music. And we mentioned this in the episode, but artists aren't able to tour and perform and, and that's so hard. So we have a couple links in the show notes of how you can support your favorite artists right now. And I think that's really important. And so this episode is not like anything that I normally do on this podcast. Instead, I just had my friend James, who happens to be an author. You should check out his book, would make a great gift. <laughs> He's really wonderful and follow him on Instagram. He makes these very smart, sometimes so funny, wise memes. And I I really love him as a person and, and his work. So definitely check out everything that he does. But anyway, earlier this week, I was just thinking about all the music that I've been consuming this year that might have come out this year. A lot of it did. A lot of it didn't. And I was listening to a lot of Pitchfork podcast interviews. And I decided to ask James, who I've been meaning to have on the podcast anyway, and, and we'll do, I've done his podcast and we met in New York and we'll hear more about that in, in this episode. But I just thought we could talk about music and each bring some albums that were meaningful to us and talk about why and just delight each other with a an hour of music conversation. So that's what you're about to hear now. And then after that, I'm going to keep this intro tight because after that, I speak to Sophia, the founder of Nutrafol, who if you've been listening to the podcast for a bit, you know that I love these supplements, Nutrafol supplements. And anyway, we have this conversation that ends up being about vanity and hair and body image. And it's, yeah, I really was surprised by how much came out from me in this conversation. And anyway, so that's at the end. 
and you'll get to hear that. And then if, if that conversation resonates with you, we did an episode of Spiraling, my podcast about mental health with Serena, about vanity and body image and mental health. So I'll link to that as well. I am so glad you're here and happy new year. Happy holidays. I hope that you are cozy wherever you are. I love you. I'm so grateful that you're listening. Genuinely, it, it really means so much. In the weeks off, if you want some company, dive into the robust over 300 episode archive that we have. And if you are listening to this the day it comes out, I'm doing a writing workshop tonight and I'd love to have you sliding scale. If you want to do it, you can do it. Like just email me. Really would love to have you. And then I'm doing a two-part workshop. I've done this for the last, I think, three years at Kripalu in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. It, it was called Remix Your Resolutions. And it was this journaling workshop about changing your relationship to goal setting. And it was one of my favorite things that I ever got to do. And obviously, Kripalu is closed. So I'm doing a two-day version of that one before the end of this year, at the end of December. And then the second day will be the second session will be early in the new year so if you want to join that bring your friends it's really great when it's a when it's a pretty robust group it always was it's obviously better in person at Kripali but I think you know we're going to try it over zoom and see how it goes so I'd love to have you I think you guys are so wonderful everyone who listens is really great so I love you and I'll talk to you briefly at the end okay 2020 music year in review hi james thank you for doing this oh my god katie thank you so much for having me this is so fun i think this is gonna be really cool so we met which feels like a really long time ago because we have the same publisher and you're one of the most creative and talented and wise people that i know and we just got along really well and i only wish that we have lived in the same place long enough we have lived in the same place and gotten to hang up a tiny bit when we do well but we're it, both from the, we're both from the midwest originally yeah. and then we both went to new york city mm-hmm. and then we both went to los angeles so i'm waiting for you to come to austin and then <laughs> take the next st- step and then we can hang out more dude it's not not a possibility <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, we just get along so well. I always forget that we're both from the Midwest, but we have similar taste in music and people. I'm pals with your your fiance, Britta, and congratulations. I don't think I've talked to you since you guys got engaged. Well, I've talked to you like in a texting sort of a way a lot, but that's so exciting. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's exciting. You know, we we have a new a new a new home and 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 now we're engaged and and yeah, I just it's a it's a lot of fun new beginnings in uh in kind of a, a weird a weird year. So mm. it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, I really want to have you back on the podcast to talk about writing and your creative process, which is something that we talk about a lot and relationships. But today we are talking about something that we connect on, which we figured out. I don't even know how we figured out that we have the same taste in music. I think it was just from like things we were listening to. And then one night this summer when I drove out to Topanga to have tacos with you and Britta, you were playing one of my favorite albums of the year. And I was like going so berserk <laughs> being like, I feel like it's my birthday. These are all things that and people that I like, and this is too good. 
Yeah, I remember we we nerded out, and I'm sure we'll talk about that album. But we we nerded out on that album, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much right away. Yeah, and then you started. We started sending each other music. I think before that actually, but then you were really helping me with my Bob Dylan education. <laughs> which is yeah, which in is, process. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an early, that, that that's a whole that's a that's a lifelong <laughs> process. Or I, I've been a Dylan kind of like aficionado for for a minute now and there are still dylan albums that i have not listened to because there's just so many so i just kind of you know gave you some training wheels and put you on the bike and still there's still a long way to go yeah yeah you didn't let me go (laughs) yet (laughs) well okay so today we thought it would be fun to do a year in review of music because It's been a strange year and it's so hard for artists to not be able to tour and perform. And it's, you know, as consumers, we're really missing live shows. And there's been so much great music this year. And we thought we could, you know, neither of us are music experts. We are both completely not in that industry we're writers who don't who just like music but today we're going to pretend like we're pitchfork and be you know just two pals who enjoy music talking about music and sending each other music and so we're going to kind of do an episode of what that looks like for us yeah i love it you know this year has been so crazy and on the positive side of things this has honestly been my favorite year for new music in in a while. And maybe it's just kind of being home more and having time to appreciate things. But I feel like every month or, or like twice a month, there would be just like a new album that I would be obsessed with. And it felt like it just kept coming. Even this week, you know, we've got brand new albums from, you know, Taylor Swift and, and Kid Cudi. So, you know, 2020 is giving us, I mean, the... the the music gods have been kind to us this year. And I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> very grateful for that, you know, in, in the middle of a really otherwise a really weird year. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So we got this idea to, to record this episode. And today we were just like right before this, trying to figure out how we wanted to structure it. And I thought that we would come with three albums from this year that we love and talk about them and why we love them. And we hope that this is interesting to you. Maybe it makes you, you know, get to hear about an album that you also really loved and just get to hear two friends gush about that. Or it introduces you to new music, which I think would be really cool as well. So we didn't tell each other what they are before this. And I have a feeling there would definitely be some overlap. And then at the end, I thought that we could share a couple of our favorite songs from the year and just songs that I pulled up my Spotify right before this. And I want to pull up some songs that are just on repeat and talk about why. And I think it will will just be really interesting. And then I didn't tell you this, James, but you can, I think you can figure this out on the fly. I want to talk about what we've been listening to lately, like in the last week. Great. I love it. Okay. And I've got a long list. So if you if we have some of the same favorites, I've got a long list. So I'll just jump to the next one. Okay, great. I'm very excited for this. Don't worry, everyone. James will be back on the podcast to talk more about other things, but today is our music episode. What have you been learning lately? 
I think that similar to there being so much good music this year, there have been like so many good lessons this year, hard learned lessons that come from, you know, self-reflection and like re-examining our priorities, which, you know, this year has forced us all to do. So I've really been learning, you know, how to, I've been learning how to unlearn the unnecessary kind of conditioning that everyone has kind of picked up over our lifetimes, you know, how, how to play by certain rules and live by kind of social expectations and things along those lines. And I think that one thing this year has taught me is just how important it is to be, you know, at the end of the day, true to yourself, you know, like going to sleep and feeling comfortable in your own skin. That's something different for everyone. But just like embodying that authenticity for me has been a huge lesson over the past year. Mm, Yeah. So much learning, so much good music. (laughs) My friend from high school posted on her, her Instagram this thing the other day. And I had recently... My 2020 playlist came out and I sent it to my best friend and she sent it back to me and was like, that's a lot of bummer music. Like there is a, she was like, that is a cheer free zone. (laughs) And I, when I, it reminded me of when I was in high school, all I would, you know, I was constantly making mixed CDs for people. I was that person. And, you know, and my friends were always like, Oh, Katie and her sad music at the time, like a lot of Sufjan and, um, Jose Gonzalez and whatever, I gravitate towards sad music, I guess, a lot. But Rose, my friend from high school, posted on her Instagram one of those polls. And she was like, when you're sad, do you listen to sad music or happy music? Or when you're happy, do you listen to sad music? And I want to ask you that question. And I am curious what everyone listening's answer to that is. And maybe they can comment on our Instagram and let us know because I think it's really interesting. And I thought about it and I, I realized that like, so last year we did like a 2019 year in review of music of sorts, but it was like about breakups and music because 2019, I had a real like theme of my life slash let it out because it's basically the same, which was you know, about breakups and there's so much good breakup music and there's so many wonderful songs written about heartbreak. And obviously that really impacted me. And so I wrote about what songs and what albums had been most meaningful to me that year. And then my friend who is a music producer, Rob Cavallo, one night at dinner, we were at this music festival where I got to interview Andrew Bird and Yolklore and a lot of these musicians that I really loved. And he was like, you know, Katie, you got to just stop listening to so much sad music. He was like, you got to just change your brain. If you listen to something happy, it neuro, like he was just like, that's what I do. And he's just this kind of guy who's like, you do it. Come on, like, let's go. And so I was like, okay, maybe that's what I need to do. And then I realized that like, for me, when I'm just answering this question first before I let you answer, but I just think it's it's interesting but for for me when I'm really sad like if I'm really depressed I can't listen to music at all like I have to distract myself by listening to like by being with other people preferably or if I can't do that listening to podcasts or eavesdropping on you know conversations of other people or like trying to watch a funny video because music makes me feel so much you know good or bad and so yeah, it, sometimes I'm like not wanting to feel, period. So that's 
you know, sort of my relationship to, to sad or upbeat music, but I would love to hear about yours. Wow. Yeah. That's such an interesting question. You know, I, I also love sad music, you know, as you know, um, I, that's probably, <laughs> that's you know, going to be the intro quote of this. As you know, I love sad music. <laughs> yeah. It's probably because I, 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 I kind of grew up listening to, to like bright eyes and stuff like that, which really informed my, you know, taste and sensibilities. But I mean, a quote came to mind when you were saying that, and um, I don't know exactly where this quote came from, but there's this saying that like all happy families are the same, but all dysfunctional families are dysfunctional in their own unique way. And there's something to say about that when it comes to sad and happy music, because, you know, I think happy music can run the risk of being kind of like a one trick pony or like a one dimensional message. Like we all like, we've all felt happy and, you know, we kind of know what that feels like, but it's kind of like a, it's like, it's like a, there's not a ton I feel of like nuance and like subtlety and like introspection to that. So like, I love happy music too, like in the right state of mind, like, especially like, you know, I think, I think of like driving fast down a, down a highway. It's so, it's nice to have just like loud, happy music blasting you know, at a loud, loud volume, just to kind of like accentuate the the vibe of speeding down a highway with your window down, singing yeah. along. If you look at life itself, you know, it's like life itself is not only happy, you know, and, and that's just not in our own lives. Like, you know, I have a relatively happy life, but there's, you know, there's so much sadness in the world and there's so many people who are not just haven't been blessed with the level of privilege and, and like comfort that I have and that I'm blessed to have. And it, there's something so honest about sad music that it kind of just like, there's a shared humanity that we're all tapping into. Like the human experience is inherently, there's some sadness to it. And in that sense, there's just like a song that's, and I, I don't want like a completely like sad, like miserably, like depressing song, but a song that's like honest about like the human experience. I think there's just more richness and nuance to yeah. that. But at the same time, like life is also happy and beautiful and like, you know, nature and just other people, like there's so much joy and love and beauty so like my favorite music and my favorite art in general really like walks the line between like sad and happy or like, even like sad and funny like i think yeah. if you can like if you're a song or a movie or a book that can somehow like strike a chord between being like sad and funny at the same time like to me that's like the magic recipe so like there's a lot of i was thinking like lyrically you know sadness brings out a lot of great lyrics and mm -hmm. um a lot of great songs have like you know maybe sad maybe it's a breakup song with like sad lyrics but there's a poppy melody that kind of puts some pep in it and then you're kind of like the song is kind of like acknowledging the sadness of a breakup or of life or whatever but it's doing so with this kind of like upbeat melody that makes you realize that like it's going to be okay. I'd say that's yeah. probably my favorite kind of music is a song that can kind of hit both notes at the same time. That's kind of a magic combination. Mm, yes. It's so well said. And I, 
I'm so glad you brought that up because my question is flawed because I don't actually, life isn't just happy or sad. You know, a situation isn't just happy or sad. It's, it's more complex and music is, is the same. And my friend Josh says this thing about movies where he's like, I, I do want to watch a film about a heroin addict, but I want to see him get sober, you know, or I want to like see an arc. And I think good music does that as well. And, you know, what I was trying to say before of like when I feel so sad or so, so high or so low, sometimes I am afraid to feel all of that. And I know music makes me feel so, so much like that's what it does for most of us. And so I'm afraid to, to turn to it, but I can listen to a song that has and that's the other thing with music, you know, it has so much, so, such different meanings for, for all of us, you know, like you can listen to a song and not know anything about the lyrics or, or a really sad song, but it reminds you of something really happy or, you know, and I think what you were saying about a song that has nuance, like that's good art, you know, a song that has both, a song that like takes you through an arc. And I think, you know, what you were talking about, like a really sad, lyrically sad song set to a really poppy melody is so phenomenal and i you know i think phoebe bridgers does this so well where you know she oh, i love her history and, and what you're saying about funny too like a funny lyric as well as you know she's so quippy and and sarcastic and also really genuine and she's tremendous but you know every once every album she has like a really you know all of her sad songs and then a really poppy sad song with trumpets, you know, but the lyrics are still really sad. And that juxtaposition is so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I think like the best art in general, like leaves room for, for um, interpretation. Yeah. Because there yeah. could be like a, there could be a breakup song that one person can interpret it as being sad because, Oh, it's, it's going through this breakup, but then there might be a hint in one of the lyrics that hints at, you know, breaking free from a bad situation. And then someone else could interpret that song as being a song of an expression of new beginnings. Yeah. The best songs really can, you can kind of like create your own meaning or like relate it. You can listen to it at different points in your of your life and then relate different meanings to it because of where you are in your life. So it kind of grows with you and like evolves with you, which is really special. Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating to me is like how I can listen to a specific song and instantly, like there's this one song I'm thinking of that I'm sure will come up. I was walking around Paris sobbing, listening to this song, but it also reminds me of this summer when I was like first in LA driving. And it also like, it's somehow like trifold of like, but it's the same song. And I'm sure you know this song too and have, you know, several different, associations with it and it's just like that's so bananas to me that and so cool about art yeah okay. no absolutely well, um yeah it's it's great <laughs> all right we gotta we got we're losing light here we gotta get into this so i think we'll just go back and forth i will go first with my first album mine are not in order of when they came out or in order of how much i like them they're just three from this year are is that cool? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. So number one, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I just listened to, as you know, because I texted you this earlier, I just listened to a Pitchfork podcast all about this album. But 
basically it's the first album since Kanye West's album 10 years ago that received a perfect 10 on Pitchfork. Did you know yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. That's Wild. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Vegetable cutters. I've been in here too long. So what's interesting for me in my relationship to this album was I really like, I obviously like knew who Fiona Apple was and is and had like a vague understanding of her music, but like didn't really listen to it. And I was pretty familiar with her VMA's speech from 1997, which is so funny because it feels like something that you were trying to say or you did say at the beginning of like this year and unlearning. And do, do you know this speech, James? I, I do. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I like she kind of like, doesn't she say like the world is bullshit or something like that? Yeah. She's basically saying like this world is bullshit, like meaning MTV and like celebrities and whatever. And then she says, you sh- I have it pulled up. I don't have this memorized, but I'm going to read it. She says, you shouldn't model... She starts off by saying this This world is bullshit. And then she says, you shouldn't model your life around what people think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. That's basically it. But it was for her debut record. And this was the VMAs. And go with yourself. You know, like it's, I think it just kind of came out wrong. She's like kind of saying, you're not wrong, but came out that way. And it's so beautiful, you know, and what you were saying about unlearning. And I think this year there was something so primal about lockdown and about us being stripped of so many things that make us feel like people of, you know, not being able to get our hair done as much or get, you know, these like beauty treatments as much or, to see people and go to, and it was so uncertain that it was, there's something really primal about that. Like, I don't know what's happening. Like this is, it was just so wild. And I think it, it made all of us hopefully go with ourselves more, you know? So it just feels like such a, a theme of, of this year. And then briefly my relationship to this record. So I, I was in, California. I just got into California. I think this record came out in early April. Is that right? That sounds right. And I just, you know, that was like peak lockdown. And my friend and I were, you know, talking like almost every night and talking on the phone about music or about, you know, art or, and it was just because it's kind of really like tender, loving thing, but I didn't really have much else going on. And I remember reading this Emily Nesbaum article for, I think, New York Magazine or The New Yorker. But anyway, I, I love Emily Nesbaum and her profile of Fiona Apple. And, and anytime anyone writes a profile of Fiona Apple, it's very detailed. And she's like always like texting the, the journalist. And this person, I think, spent like many, many weeks with her. And I think what's fascinating too about Fiona Apple is that it's well known that she's, you know, sort of a hermit and and doesn't really leave her house much anyway. And I think this album really speaks to quarantine because it was made at home and you can hear her dogs barking and it feels so authentic and true and specific, like in what they said in this pitchfork 
episode I just listened to about why it was a perfect 10 of like, it can't be recreated. And it's so specific to her and the lyrics are just, it's just so good. And I would, I would walk around in April, just listening to this album and and feeling my feelings. And like, it was, you know, it's an album to be listened to. Like it should, should have a a warning, you know, it's It's not not really like something to have. It's not background music. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Like it it, it kind of of demands, it kind of demands your like full attention. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I think that night when I came over, we were talking about it a little bit and had you like not really listened to it much at that point? Yeah, I still haven't. I've listened to it, I think in its totality twice. Mm -hmm. One was like the day it came out. And then uh, another um, was like in like a a road trip that I was on in like, in like July. And it's honestly, it's like, for me, it's, I love it and it's so good and it, and it, it deserves all the credit it's getting. I think it's a little challenging to get into at first because it is like, it's not just like easy listening songs. Like yeah, it, it rewards your attention. So like, there's like little nuances to the instrumentation or like her lyrics are like telling really deep stories. I think the barrier of entry is probably like the highest of like any album that we'll talk about today. But like when you actually commit to it, I think it'll probably like, it, pay, it pays back your time quite a bit. Um, how I actually like the two things I took away from it though, like when I first listened to it and I just jotted these down cause I, te- I have a friend that I always text like, um, about like new music when it comes out. And the first thing I told him was that this doesn't sound like an album to me. It sounds like a one woman play, like for yeah. some reason, cause there's so many like really like vulnerable personal details that she just like really puts out there. And then she says it with this just like raw, like candor. Like I, I just pictured like a one woman play where someone's up on stage, just like pouring their heart out, you know, like in, as like a character. Yeah, I just felt like she was telling some kind of a sequential story about her childhood and her life becoming who she is today. And she was like airing out all her dirty laundry, which is partially why it's uncomfortable because she's not mincing words. She's like putting it out there about like, childhood bullying and like rape and like really tough subjects and yeah. she's like going right for it and the other thing i commented on about it is that it sounds like if sylvia plath tried to make pet sounds yes because sylvia plath is so sylvia well plath, said. right she's just like a really like raw female poet and then pet sounds is like this meticulously crafted beach boys album where like every instrument was just perfect arranged. And like, there was also like, they brought in animals to like perform on the tracks. And it was just like this weird instrumentation and like orchestra of like things around the house. And like, it was just like this amazing production. And that's what the production of Fiona Apple's album sounds like to me is like banging the walls for certain tracks. Like they had her dogs barking. Like it's, it's just like, it's an audio experience kind of like unto itself. Yeah, definitely to be listened to while walking or driving. I think that's interesting, James, that you brought up your road trip. So James took a cross-country road trip by himself this summer. And I went on a, a very long road trip with my with my friend. And I think for both of us, I was going to bring up... I forgot about your road trip until you just mentioned it. But I was going to bring up my road trip as like very indicative of a lot of the music that I'm 
bringing up today because yeah, or at least a couple. And my friend who I was on the road trip with just makes tremendous playlists and has such great taste in music and is always sending me music. And it's one of my favorite ways to listen to music. And I, I, in New York would obviously walk around listening to music. It's such a quintessential thing, but more often I would listen to podcasts. And since living in LA and getting a car, as you know, I'm new to driving and listening to podcasts wasn't working because I needed to concentrate more. And I was just like not understanding where music, you can kind of zone in and out. And so I've been listening to music exclusively driving and listening to a lot more music because of that this year. Yeah. That's a silver lining of driving and like living in LA where you're going to have long drives is like, put me in my car for an hour and great. I can listen to a whole, a whole album. And like, I don't even, that does not bother me. (laughs) Yeah. Same. It's really relaxing and lovely. And like, yeah. And it's almost like your brain is occupied on this thing that takes a bit of energy, but also you have, I don't know if I would, you know, lay on my bed or sit on my couch and just listen to an album. You know, I think we live in such a double screening and writing and productivity. You're like, I'll listen while I clean or I'll listen while I shower, which I do, but you know, and driving is multitasking, you know, but you're very aware, which is, it it, it almost forces you to, to not multitask because you, it's kind of like why I love being like on a plane back when we used to take flights, (laughs) because when you're on a flight, it limits what you can do. Like you can't get up and go to the other room and grab whatever it's like you're you're there and like if you're reading your book you're like fully immersed in your book if you're listening to your music you're immersed in your music it's like you're focused on that one thing so driving is like a cool it's similar to that where you can like listen to an album without being too distracted Mm, yeah fully well let me know if you have any last thoughts on fiona apple or fetch the bolt cutters, but I just have one thing I want to say about it. Well, this is not about the album, but about her. And I think you'll really like this. So did you know that she was on the new Bob Dylan album that came out this year? You know what is that's so funny because I knew that, or I I heard that, but I forgot about it and i don't even know where she appears on it but i did in passing hear about that okay so i did not know that until today i and i don't know where she's on it either but apparently she was really really nervous for that she was really really nervous to go record it she was nervous for that experience and the whole thing and bob dylan said to her this line which i wrote down which is so good and really connects with the sentiment that you said about 2020 and her, or I keep saying MTV, her VH1 speech where she says the mantra is, you know, go with yourself. But he says to her, you're not here to be perfect. You're here to be yourself. Mm. Isn't that so good? I love that. I knew you would love that. Yeah. And it just makes me jealous that I was living like in Topanga, like, 10 minutes away from like where Bob Dylan lives in Malibu. Like he could have told me something cool like that. Not too late. <laughs> you never know. I know. He still, he I know. still can. Okay. Any final thoughts on fetch the bolt cutters or Fiona Apple? No, it's great. I just, Fiona Apple is great. What I remember most about her just in general is she was really becoming popular when I kind of first started being conscious of music. 
like in the mid nineties. So I, I just remember, I'll always just remember her, her video for, for her song criminal. It was just like, at the time it was like the, the edgiest song I'd seen and heard or like the edgiest music video I'd seen. And she was just like draped out in heroin chic in like a tank top or something. It, it was just like this iconic video that me seeing it when I was a kid, just like, you know, she, she's been in like an iconic artist for a really long time and like, yeah. she's great. Yeah, fully. Okay. What's your first album that cool. year? So I know we have some, definitely some shared favorite albums of the year. I wanted to pick one that we had never talked about and that oh, great. is a little more of a left field choice that I really dug this year. Great. Um, Was Fetch the Bolt Cutters on your list? I haven't listened to it enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I, they figured. It, I was like, I'll I take respect, that one. I respect it a lot, but I haven't gotten to the point where like I have a personal relationship with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell me, tell me the left field. It's from the pop artist, Charlie XCX. Oh yeah. She did boom clap. No, I think so. I think it sounds like it's something she would make, but I've listened to her a lot, you know, on the periphery, I'm kind of like, I'm a kind of a peripheral fan. Like I'll check in here and there, but she's been around for, you know, probably 10 years now. And she's kind of like the next wave of pop star. Like she makes kind of like more big sounding pop but it's kind of with an edgier feel or like more of a kind of a it's it's more it's more futuristic and kind of like elements of like cool techno i would say but then she like just owns she just turns it all into like a pop song which is just like a really rare i think she's just kind of like the pop star of the future like it just sounds like what britney spears put britney spears in a time machine and put her in the future and like that's what charlie xcx is to me but I, she's on this list particular because she, in like kind of like late-ish 2019, she put out a really big album. It was like the biggest album of her career, the most artistically kind of acclaimed. And it was great. It was like her best career work. And um, it was really in-depth. And she had like a fun song called um, 1999 that you should definitely check out about like nostalgia for 1999. And it's just like this great, it was like, you know, a, a good hit for her. And it's a good, like nostalgic song, but you put out your, your, it was, you know, it was kind of her like quote masterpiece of her career to date. And when you do that, you know, you kind of have like permission to coast for a while or like, you know, just kind of step back for a while and let that album sink in. And what happened is she, you know, quarantine hit, like you said, it was like, um, you know, March, April, when we were really in the thick of it. And this was like right when quarantine started and she was like, I think she was locked up in her like LA home by herself and her music is really reliant on like production and like collaboration. But she was the first artist that I saw to take quarantine and like channel it into art within weeks of the United States going on lockdown she had recorded an album by herself in her home. And um, it's called How I'm Feeling Now. So it's not even like it happened to come out during quarantine. She made it because of and during quarantine. I think we've gotten a lot of like quarantine art this year and, and, and even like, you know, 
Zadie Smith published like a book of essays on, yeah. you know, quarantine, which was just, which was great. And I'm sure we'll get, we'll get a quarantine movie, you know, down the road. We'll get like, we'll get like TV shows on about quarantine. Like this is, this is a time where that will be like writers and musicians and everyone will be kind of like remembering this time, like, you know, for, for, for a while, there could be a movie in 50 years about 2020. But I feel like for me that I saw how I'm feeling now by Charlie XCX was like the first piece of quarantine art that, that we got. And um, she did it so fast, so immediate. And, you know, she's usually, like I said, like a big kind of like pop star, very futuristic. And all, all of that is still there in this album. It's very big. It's very bold, but there's just love this level of like introspection and sadness that just like had never been in her music before. So you really see her kind of like, like I said, this year has been forcing us all to kind of reprioritize and examine our lives. And I just really am thankful that that she did that on record. Like we kind of have a record of her own like personal experience during quarantine. And and, and I, th- I thought it was just like, you know, you, you don't expect like a pop star to come out with this kind of like artistic achievement that kind of comments on our times, but you know, she did that. And uh, I think it's just like an awesome album to listen to. And then there's a lot of deeper meaning to some of the songs too. Wow. I'm so glad you shared that. I'm so excited to listen to it. I'm going to listen to her 2019 album. I'm going to listen to this. Wow. James, so happy you shared that a little bit upset you hadn't shared it with me prior. (laughs) I'm so excited about this. And you explained all of that so well. Yeah. Wow. That's fast. I'm really, I remember that time in late March, early April, where do you remember this? Like everyone was live all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. On Instagram. (laughs) And everyone was making things and putting things out. And I just felt this creative pressure. Like, Oh my God, everyone is making something like I need to write and I need to do. And I kind of did that. And I had the luxury of like, I wasn't even in my own home. So I couldn't even like clean or Marie Kondo. Like I was just like, better be writing, you know? And I also felt this, this pressure, like it was the space race or something. And some people were doing well and some people weren't. And I, or some people were not doing well and weren't. I mean, some people were turning things out and some people were like feeling stuck. And I just didn't want anyone to feel like this time had to be creative, you know, like take, let's take the pressure off. If it feels good to create, create, but like, this is not the time test, you know? And however, it sounds like she, it did feel good for her and she, this was cathartic. And I'm assuming, and, you know, I think for some of us it was, and, you know, I think we're, we're still in that, but there was a lot of memes of like, how are you going to take this time and look back on it? Cause I think at the time we thought it was like, oh, we got a couple of weeks off, you know, like we got, and then turns out, you know, we're almost at a year now, but I think I thought back then, like definitely by summer, things will be back to normal, if not sooner, you know? So I think it did feel kind of like this pressure cooker of like, what am I going to churn out from quarantine? How am I going to... And, and I really hated the messaging around like body image of like being really hard on yourself with that. Like I thought that was really rough too, but creativity wise, it was the same. And I think the backlash happened pretty quickly though. Cause I think you're right. I think people immediately were like, people are like, yeah, use this time, you know, use this yeah. time to do something. 
And I think it really quickly became like, you know what? It's okay to do nothing. Yeah. Like it's okay to not feel okay. And it's okay to like, not know what, what to do. Yeah. You're so right. That that kind of message is what kind of ultimately set in. And I think that's when it became kind of like a time more for like, just, just healing, like just, just take the time, just feel, feel what you're feeling and just don't rush anything. Yeah. You're so right. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm so excited to check out that album. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And she's just cool. Like I've started, you know, following her on social media and like, I just love how, you know, she just shares just like the pictures of her when she looks, you know, like she just woke up. Like she's just the most, like she's just very raw and authentic, even though her like superstar pop image is very polished. I just love how she's equally comfortable just like doing live when she just woke up and no makeup and her hair is a mess and she's wearing an oversized t-shirt and she just like totally owns that. So I just think she's a cool, you know, very authentic kind of artist. I love that. I'm really excited to, yeah, it's the first thing I'm doing when we hang up. (laughs) Nice. So my turn, number two. This one, I think we definitely have overlap or we've discussed at length. Waxacachi, St. Cloud. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. My, it's my, this is my personally favorite album of the year. Yeah, I, I think probably me too. It's definite. Fire was my number one listen to song, according to Spotify. And I think Lilacs was just behind. And this album, okay, I'll, I'll start with my relationship to Waxacachi and this album in particular. So friend of the podcast, Marley Grace, is in the Lilacs video. And she is best friends with Katie Crutchfield of Waxacachi. And so I had listened to a lot of her music, many of her albums. And I, I really listened to American Weekend a lot in 2019 and her cover with her boyfriend Kevin Morby farewell transmission is a song that I just that that song is to me the definition of I think that's the greatest song maybe in the world <laughs> but like that song mm-hmm. to me is the definition of what we were talking about earlier James of like an arc of like somehow it's like sad and feelings evoking, but like also makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. And I just have listened to that song in so many settings with so many people and alone and just, yeah, it's, it's just so meaningful, the cover and the, and the original. And anyway, so I think that was like part of my, that was like the main thing I thought about her and her, and her music. And then this album came out, I was in Australia and I remember very vividly watching the video for lilacs and for fire in my friend's baby's room where i was staying and just before i was coming home and and i remember just kind of being like cool i like that i really liked marley in the video for uh lilacs like it was really cool to see you know marley dancing and i loved that and i liked that song instantly and and fire took me a minute it just funny because I do sort of have this theory with music where it's like 
I end up liking it the more I listen to it, you know, like you, the first time I listen to things, I can be like, meh. And then there are other things that I listen to for the first time. I'm like, I want to listen to this on repeat, you know, and I get sick of, and it, it just depends. But this whole thing took me a second to warm up to this whole thing, this whole album. And then when the album came out, I just, I just loved it so much. And then through that early quarantine period that we were, that we've been speaking about a lot, March, April, Kevin Morby and Katie Crutchfield are, are dating and are live together in Kansas. And they would do these Instagram lives where they would play mostly her album, but they would also play his songs and they would do covers and people could do requests and they would have their friends come on and, and, and talk. And it was so earnest and lovely and cozy. And I just, I really looked forward to it. It was one of the things that kept me going. And, and that made me like the album even more. And then I remember this summer driving to Topanga to hang with you and Britta. And we mentioned this before, but you said something, James, about this album, because you were playing it on vinyl and you, it stuck with me. And I'll just let you say it, but I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was about how you felt like this album was her kind of going back to the the theme of this episode of going with herself as Fiona Apple would say, right? Can you, do you remember saying that to me? I don't remember that specifically. It was about the main thing that I remember and appreciate about this album was it, 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 to me, it's the sound of a songwriter, like completely like coming into her own. Yeah. That's what I mean. There's just like this, there's just like this freedom and the command of the songs that like it all, it, it really honestly reminds me of like mid sixties, Bob Dylan, where like, cause like Bob Dylan was like a folk singer and, you know, for, for a few years. And then it, it was really like the mid sixties when he started to write his classic rock and roll songs. And there's just like this kind of almost like you can almost sense the joy in their voice. Like they're owning this track in a way that is like full command of their art. And I feel like she accomplished that in this, in this album. And so much so that like, I never cry in my real life, but like the right song or the right movie can like make me shed tears. And like, this is one album that, especially like the songs that you liked fire and lilacs. There's just something about her command of language, her ownership of the, you know, the, the singing that, it honestly just like brought tears to my eyes. I, I, like I didn't know her. I, I didn't know her music until this album, but I really felt, I felt so proud of her for having like created this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you told me. <laughs> and like and proud of her as a person for like, yeah. It stuck with me. Yeah. Do you hear the same thing in, in this album? Yeah. And especially having listened to her previous albums and they said this in the pitchfork, albums of the year podcast I was just listening to because they also chose this as one of them. And it's someone, you know, her, her voice and her exactly, basically what you were saying, they, they also echoed. And did you go back and listen to her previous albums? Yeah, I definitely did. And they're great. And I like them, but not, none of the albums, this new one was like a, was, it was a big jump forward, I think. Yeah, yeah, and a big departure from you know her other albums. She she did this thing this year where she did these lives where she would play through all of her albums in order. Mm. And you can find them on YouTube and and I've been watching some of them and there's 
this song explorer episode about fire. Did I send that to you, James? I don't remember. Well, I will. And I'll put it in the show notes for, for all of our friends listening too. But she talks about the lyrics of fire and, and fire is about her getting sober. And it's about, this sounds so earnest, but it's about her learning to love herself. And she got the idea for fire while like riding in the car with her boyfriend. And it just, it's, it's such a great episode of her talking about the song and it, it's become kind of my running song this year. And I don't even run, but like I started running, listening to this song and it, it, it really became sort of my anthem of, of the year and just feels so nice. And I, I've listened to it so much that I've, I feel like I've exhausted it, you know, in a, in a way and maybe need to come back to it. But this album, I, yeah, I just listened to it so much. And then, you know, I also, I'm pulling up my 2020 playlist actually because, or the one that Spotify made for me. And I went back and listened to a lot of her old albums this year and her song Bathtub, her song Be Good from, I don't, I think that's from American Weekend, but a lot of her other music from other albums I'm just noticing now showed up. Her song Eight Ball from, I think her very first album, but her song Bathtub I listened to on repeat. Like a lot of these songs came up for me again and again, Summer of Love, like because I think I was listening to so much St. Cloud, I went back into her discography a lot. Yeah, the only so the the song I couldn't remember, um, it's Sparks Fly. Oh, that's such a good one. Sparks Fly is a is a fantastic song. But and they're all good. Her early albums are are great in their own right. But um it's like she kind of, you know, I just love to see someone just kind of reach not 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 perfection or even their peak per se, but like come into their own. It's 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 how I felt last year um when lana del rey's latest album came out because i i I, lana i had watched her evolve over the years i had watched her since her debut album came out in like 2011 and followed her along and she always had good music and i always liked her songs but when norman fucking rockwell came out last year that's another album that like made me shed a tear because watching an artist come into her own like that is like that's why we make art is to get to that point where we it's like breathing or it's just ourselves on a record or you know it's so yeah that's waxahachie she 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 nailed it yes my friend always says it's not trying to be better but it's trying to be better at being yourself mm, love that yeah and i think that that that's what i like to see in artists too and people i know everyone i, I think that's that's all we can do, really, I guess. Ah, okay. Any other last thoughts for St. Cloud? No, just listen to it if you haven't. Even Britta fell in love with that. Britta, Britta doesn't always listen to new music, but to Austin from, from LA when we moved, she listened to it, I guess, like the whole way. And she was like, she said by the end, she was um had the window rolled out and she was just like screaming the lyrics out of the car. <laughs> I love that so much. We got her. We caught her. We got her. <laughs> Okay, your turn. Okay, cool. You knew it was coming, but I got to do Bob Dylan. Great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Bob Dylan. Wow. I mean, just like, I believe this is his 39th studio album. 
that's a lot. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that like, this is the best 39th album that anyone has ever created. <laughs> it's probably, I would venture to say the best album by someone in their seventies. Yeah. So everyone knows Bob Dylan, everyone knows like the classic hits, but what I really love about Bob Dylan, and this is like the same thing I love about David Bowie was just the, the fearless exploration throughout their career. Like not once did Bob Dylan or David Bowie ever rest on their laurels and, and do something safe and go for like a popular hit. They always zigged whenever other people were zagging. Dylan created these like classic sixties albums that influenced the Beatles and like the whole sixties rock movement that created what we know as music today. And, um, by the time everyone caught up with him and was kind of creating these big masterpieces um, inspired by the 60s, he had already moved on and was doing like, had moved to Nashville to do country music and these like simple little country songs. So he was always just moving and turning and letting his life, like letting where he was in his life dictate the music he made. And there are a lot of bad Bob Dylan albums and there's bad David Bowie albums, because when you do that, you know, you're not always going to hit a home run because you might just not be in the zone to do that, but you're still going to kind of do what's honest to you at the time. And I love that so much more than like trying to chase a hit and like trying to replicate a formula that worked in the past. So yeah, I just, I've always loved to watch Dylan's just kind of like growth and weird left turns. And, you know, stuff that no one would expect. And um, this album in particular, um, it's called Rough and Rowdy Ways. And he hasn't released an album, I think, in eight years in terms of like a studio album. But in the eight years since his last album, what he had been doing was creating these um, cover albums of like old, like Frank Sinatra, like standards, old 40s kind of like the 40s pop music pre-rock and roll like songs and um everyone's like why is he doing this and he would just then he would just put out another one and he, he had like a ton like a whole string of like these like old school cover songs and they're good you know nothing nothing too amazing but what he does is he, he i think what he was doing was he was studying that genre and learning how to perform it and apply it and like create it. So now, you know, eight years later, he kind of gives birth to his own kind of like classic sounding pre-rock and roll type songs, but with his own like personal spin. It came out so unexpectedly, like no one had been expecting a Bob Dylan album because, you know, it had been eight years and this was again right, kind of right around when quarantine was starting to hit, and um, he dropped out of nowhere. This was his introduction to the album. He dropped a seventeen-minute, very slow, sparse instrumentation, like almost empty, naked instrumentation, seventeen-minute song about the assassination of JFK. Yeah. Like the most like kind of like weird, like this is not the hit single, you know, Mm -hmm. but I love that. I love when an artist, like it's like when in like 2012 when Frank Ocean's first album came out and his like lead single was like this 10 minute track 
called pyramids that was like this abstract concept song about pyramids like i was just like what like that's just so like prince with purple rain like what is that like what is this 10 minute song about purple rain like it doesn't make sense it should it shouldn't work but it's so bold and so experimental that it just totally works so dylan did that and it was just like there's there's such a sadness to that song because it's really about because you know when, when quarantine was happening and still today what's happening is that you know a lot of people are seeing like the cracks in the american system the cracks in our health system the cracks in our political system the cracks in our economy like all over we're just we're seeing the de- the decay of the country is starting to show and you know you could make we could talk all day about why that is and where it came from but a lot of people like kind of point to like the assassination of JFK as like a turning point in our country where like you know JFK was he was this young president full of hope really idealistic the whole 60s youth movement was behind him he wanted to get out of vietnam you know he wanted to do good things for the country and 2 years into his term this young good looking man you know was assassinated and you know we weren't alive then but it's it's hard to it's hard for us to imagine how big of a traumatic event that was for the country yeah. and you know we didn't just lose we lost a great man but we also lost these ideals that he stood yeah. for so the fact that like that's the song that Dylan comes out with while we're kind of starting to see like this unraveling of kind of society in a way it just struck a chord that just even though it wasn't like thematically what we were dealing with it felt emotionally like the state of the country was at that moment when the song came out mm. yeah wow you articulated so much of this so beautifully i remember when that song came out a podcast i love this guy was like you know, when else can you sit and listen to a 17-minute Bob Dylan song? But this week I had time, you know? So it was actually good timing for that. And there's this really great episode of Fresh Air that came out recently. Someone wrote a new memoir about, no, I think it's a biography of Ted Kennedy, maybe, who recently died. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were talking about like the change of American liberalism and yeah, essentially exactly what you said and how Bobby was even more liberal and then his death and like just about a, like all of all of that and yeah it, it's just fascinating to to think about the I've always been fascinated with that part of history and I'm going to re-listen to Bob Dylan's 17 minute song after this conversation yeah and just you know that's that's a great song I mean I, I can only listen to that song so much because it's such a commitment but, you know, the whole album just really moved me, um, you know, just it's weird. But like a few years ago, Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And he is the first songwriter to ever to ever do that. Like uh-huh. he's, he was awarded like the Presidential Medal of Freedom in his old age. I mean, he's always been respected, but in his old age, he's really been like given like the highest honors that any artist could ever imagine achieving and what i hear on this new album is kind of like he's just settling into his his role as the bard of american song the first track is called of the of the album is called i contain multitudes which is a walt whitman line from a walt whitman poem 
about you know how I'm not just one person. I, I contain multitudes. I can be multiple people at once. And yes, Bob Dylan does happen to be a Gemini, so that does actually make <laughs> that's actually fitting for him. But he has this whole song about you know how he is this and he's that. He's he's this and he's that. A sample lyric that I really love is, "I paint landscapes and I paint nudes. I contain multitudes." I paint landscapes and I paint dudes. I contain multitudes. And I literally laughed out loud the first time he said that because, you know, speaking of like funny artists, like Bob Dylan is one of these artists that can like be making like a poignant point, but also do it in a way that's just kind of like funny or, you know, unexpected. So just the fact that he's, you know, I think he's like in his late 70s now. And the fact that he's still like, this is unlike any, it's not his best album, but it's, there's no other album in his catalog that sounds anything like this. And um, the fact that you can be in your late 70s and still like doing new things. I mean, come on, that's what's more inspiring than that. Oh, yeah, totally. Wow, I love to hear you talk about Bob Dylan. That was so soothing. <laughs> Thank you. I should have a Bob Dylan podcast exclusively. Please, please. <laughs> Even if it's just for me, you can just voice it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. I have a lot of listening to do. And, and James has been sending me like old Bob Dylan to get into as well. Do you still in your office have a big Bob Dylan image? Oh yeah, he's he's worked his way from New York to LA to Austin, so he's mm. um, he's right there. I also have a Dylan tattoo. Did I show you my Dylan? Yeah, tattoo? I, yeah. Um, it's, it's the highway sign for Highway 61, which is um one of his album titles. So good, ah, oh, so good. This episode is brought to you by Headspace. Life can be stressful even under normal circumstances and the holidays are even more stressful. And then, you know, 2020 has challenged even the most zen of us. So you might need some stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, as they say, and that's Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? There's a Headspace for that. They have a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need help falling asleep? Headspace has got you. Headspace has a wind-down session for members that they swear by. They have a meditation for anxiety, which is super cool. And for parents, Headspace even has these morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, increase your overall sense of well-being, which, you know, we all really need. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits. It has so many five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads. I love Headspace. I think it's really great to just have something in your pocket. I can pop on. I can meditate easily, quickly on the go. It's the best. 
I hope that you love it too. Headspace makes it easy for you to build life-changing meditation practices with mindfulness that work for you and your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel your best and with Headspace, meditation is made simple. Go to headspace.com slash let it out. That's headspace.com slash let it out for a free month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. That's the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash let it out today. So here's the situation. My computer is dying and I can't plug it in and also have the microphone in. So we're going to do these last ones as lightning round. Cool. And you'll come back. Maybe we do this as a yearly thing. I'm feeling like that. Oh, that would be be a lot of fun. Pretty sure that's going to happen. Yeah. So, okay. So my number three choice is such a cop-out and basically I, I couldn't choose. And so I'm just going, this is what I got. Okay. So just, just, you know, forgive me. <laughs> number one, Laura Marlin, because basically all these albums, I didn't like, I didn't have a relationship to at the level of the other two. They were all kind of the same, but also you'll see. So Laura Marling's album, I think it's songs for our daughter. That album I listened to so much and it it's a it's an album that I wouldn't have chosen to listen to necessarily, but a person that I was living with listened to it all the time. And because I heard it all the time, I ended up liking it and it reminded me, like we were talking about earlier, reminds me of a very specific situation and time in my life and always will, I'm sure. And then today when it came on, or actually when my 2020 Spotify playlist came out and these songs came up, it was like, no, 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 too many feelings next. Like I couldn't even listen Mm -hmm. because it took me so back to like exactly where I was when I heard it again and again. And um, it was so visceral. And today, because I knew we were doing this, I was like, let me like get into that album for a second. And it is truly a really beautiful album. So. I'll say that one. And then I also want to mention the Fleet Foxes album that came out mm. most recently. Was that on your list too? Uh, it wasn't on my list, but I loved it. Yeah, sure. I think we did talk about that with each other, but I I just loved that album so much and also is very visceral. Like it, it came out the week that I moved into my new apartment from the place I was living before. And I just spent a lot of time that week alone and it was really emotional and I listened to that album a lot and also I I just want to mention my and you can do this too my runners up I guess yeah honorable mention that's what I was trying to think of I and this is not even honorable mention I just haven't spent enough time listening to soccer mommy but i absolutely love soccer mommy like there are three songs that are so that i listen to on repeat yeah i just did that come out this year it did and and that's one that i don't even listen to the album but sometimes i've got like a playlist on or something and then yeah a, a song will come up and i'll be like this song is great and then it's like it's always soccer mommy yeah exactly <laughs> same exactly that's exactly my relationship but i recently I have to send you this and i'll put it in the show notes i watched her tiny desk concert because my friends oh. were over the other night 
and we did such a fun thing. We were, it was like super late and we were all just like hanging out and had dinner and we all played our number one song for each other. And then we all played our number two song of the year for each other. And we put it all on a playlist and then we went down a wormhole of like watching videos of live performances because we all miss live music. And one was the Soccer Mommy Tiny Desk and it's just incredible. And then another two videos that I, I always, that this year I've made my friends watch constantly, which, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Big Thief. I listened to so much Big Thief this year. Mm. It was on my 2020 playlist, like songs from all of their albums. And when I was in Australia, their song, Not. I think it came out maybe in 2019, but we listened to that song driving around Byron Bay in a flood, just like on repeat. And that song is so like my time in Australia this year. And there's this performance of Big Thief performing not, I think it's Jimmy Kimmel or like one of the late night shows at the either this January or the end of last year. And it's an example of exactly what you were saying, James, about Katie Crutchfield and Waxacatchee, where it, Adrian Linker, the singer of Big Thief, she, it's her becoming herself, like mm. really like coming into her own. Like she's wearing face paint and she has this like really short pixie cut. And, you know, she used to be married to the bassist and, and now she's not. And, you know, she had a solo album come out this year, which is really sad and beautiful and interesting. And she's a very interesting person, but we watch that video and then I always make people watch the Tiny Desk concert from like 2012 or 14 or something where they they sing Masterpiece and whatever songs were on that album. And she has long hair and she's wearing like a outfit that feels very 2013 and has like, you know, it, it was specific for her then. It was herself and she has these like short bangs and long hair. But it really just shows like, six years or 10 years or however long it has been like an artist really coming into their own. And I love that other album too. It's just watching those videos back to back, those performances back to back is really cool. So, and then this is not an album that came out this year. This came out last year, but she did put out two new songs in quarantine. And I think a Christmas Carol recently, but I think, you know, this James, I'm obsessed with Julia Jacqueline and her album crushing was so important to me in 2019 that like for my creative underdogs, we did like a whole session basically on that album. But my friend Meredith and I have like a literal Google doc where we like dissect okay. the lyrics of that song. I'm so happy you brought her up because I didn't know who she was until a couple weeks ago. Really? Yes. But here's the deal. That's on I was, me. I was listening to Phoebe Bridgers radio. Uh-huh. And this song came on and it was a cover song and I knew it was a cover song, but I didn't know what the, I couldn't tell what it was. Someday. Yes. <laughs> I covered the, she covered the fucking strokes. Yeah. It's so like good. I've never heard, I've never ever heard a strokes cover, but especially this like gentle female, like beautiful song. Like she completely like commanded that song. Like it made it her own. And I, I I'm, I'm totally obsessed with that track right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that it's so it's so good, but you gotta just like her album crushing 
just I will never related to more lyrics. Like basically what happened was last year I've made the zine about heartbreak and my friend Meredith, who's a musician, she's toured with so many people and is this amazing bassist. And she did all the collage art for Let It Out, but she's also a collage artist. But she sent me crushing and like this much like you and I do actually. She sent me this like paragraphs and paragraphs long text of like how it relates to my breakup, you know? And I listened to it a lot last year, but then weirdly this year, this summer, I I wasn't even like having a breakup. I was like still like in something, but like I knew it was a breakup coming. And so I just like had that record uh, at the ready, you know, and I was just listening to it. And it was, it was like new situation, same feelings, same record. You know what I mean? And it was just, so wild and i um yeah man i i just love her i think she's so tremendous and her new songs that came out in quarantine are good but i i just keep and and i had this cool experience with her where i hadn't listened to her first album i think it's called pool party but i hadn't listened to that at all i i found her from crushing in 2019 i think her first album came out maybe year or two before that, but it was cool to be able to like, it was kind of like getting a new album because I was like, Ooh, I've never listened to this one. And I actually really like it too. So yeah, yeah. she's tremendous. I need, I need, I need to take a deep dive on, on her. Yeah. Yeah. We both have some homework after this. episode. <laughs> okay. What is your, your number three? Cool. 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 I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a speed around like you and rattle right. off a few because I've got a few left. My, I think my second favorite album of the year behind Waxahachie was probably Taylor Swift. Yeah. And that's now she has two, which is amazing, but specifically Folklore, which came out in, I believe it was the end of July mm-hmm. or maybe early August. But speaking of artists just kind of coming into their own, I mean, I've liked Taylor. I got exposed to Taylor in like 2010 with her when her album speak now came out and that's because i had a girlfriend at the time who like like liked country music and she used to drive around listening to it and i used to be like why are you listening to taylor swift and then like after a few trips in the car hearing it i was kind of like wait a minute these songs are good i'm like do people know that she's like a good songwriter and like people didn't know like (laughs) but she really legit has been this whole time and I just think her music is aging like fine wine. Like she's just like her subtle, like command of melody, just her songwriting chops continues to improve. And what I like about this album specifically from her, cause she, I like all of her stuff. I mean, I love her album red so much, but then you'll get like weird songs like 22 or we are never getting back together that are, that are great songs, but they're just like, loud and kind of like jokey and like not really what I want to hear all the time. <laughs> but this is her first album that I feel like I, I, I love albums that like retain a kind of um Cohesive. the same like tone and the same kind of like vibe throughout. So you can kind of put it on and get lost in it and it's not going to take you into weird twists and turns. And I love that about folklore. It's just it's it's one mood. And you, and she takes you on this like beautiful journey. It's sad. It's kind of, I love it. Like, you know, some albums just really like live in a certain time and folklore is kind of like an album that is like an end of summer album. There's something about like an end of summer when like it's slipping away and you know, things are, it's ending and you've got to move on and it's going to be winter, but it's still like 
it's still like the end of August and you're kind of looking back on your summer. This album does that for me. And she even has a song called August that talks about like August slips away into a moment in time because it was never mine. But I can see us lost in the memory. August slipped away into a moment in time because it was never mine. It's just kind of this emotional maturity of, you know, knowing things are going to pass and like coming to terms with that and like expressing that. And I think... You know, I think she just did a great job. I think it's just her most mature work. Yeah, I'd still listen to it all the time. Second, all of that. Also, August is my favorite song on that record. And it was just... I heard a critique of it that was like, because there's a song Cardigan, that it yeah didn't feel like... It should feel like a fall album. But... Mm. I agree with what with what you said. Also, it's like the experience we had of it was the timing. But anyway, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and even just one little line, like I'm I'm just looking at the lyrics to that song now. Like one little line that doesn't probably mean much when you first hear it, but I I've come to like read a lot into it. She just says, "Back when we were still changing for the better, mm-hmm. you know, wanting was enough for me. It was enough, but like." For me, just that it's it's a it's a sentence fragment. It's not even a full sentence. Back when we were still changing for the better. Like my heart breaks when I hear that because she's really saying, like, she's implying so much. She's she's implying that they're no longer changing for the better, that you reach a point in your life where change is for the worst. And like you're not you don't have this youthful kind of like hope and like hopeful outlook anymore. Aging. Um, so just yeah, just aging. So just looking back and just like having that like line of, uh, it just breaks my heart, you know. And this, of course, this this album has uplifting moments as well. It's not all it's not all sad, but to me, that's a line that just speaks to her growth as a songwriter. Yeah. Same, um, the last great American dynasty, which is like she's like telling a story of like from history, which is like a songwriters do that but i don't really think taylor's done that where she's like they're characters and there's a scene and they're like i'm going to like tell a story about these people from the past that that are that are real people and she's going to paint a picture of that and that's another example of her growth as a songwriter where she can like take herself out of the story and write a story about characters and she nailed it it's a great song yeah all right what else you got for us I got to mention Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. Um, I really loved her album. Like something about Phoebe Bridgers just comforts me. Like she just, she, she just like, she's, she's just like this young, you know, I don't know how old she is, but I, I feel like she's pretty young and she, but she just has this kind of just like this kind of wisdom that just feels comfortable and safe when I hear her music and really enjoyed her album. It was like a big step. It was her second album and it was, it was a, it was a really big step forward. Her tiny desk, just my thoughts briefly on this. Her tiny desk is so good on tiny desk from home is so good for this album. And then there's a really great podcast episode with her on Pete Holmes podcast. Have you listened to that James? No, but I'm going to, that sounds great. It's really, really good. It came out this summer. I just wanted to tell you that. Okay. What else? Okay, Phoebe Bridgers. I got to just mention like Bright Eyes because I grew up on Bright Eyes yeah. and like it was their first album, I think in like nine years or something like that. Um, not their best work, but still like the fact that they, it's it's great for like their ninth album or whatever. 
And then I'll just mention, I'm just going to mention Run the Jewels because I thought that was a really timely album. So like Run the Jewels makes like hardcore old school hip hop, but it's very like politically minded um, and like revolutionary. And this album came out like the week after like the George Floyd murder happened and like Black Lives Matter. And like, that was like the topic of the whole country. And Killer Mike, the MC for Run the Jewels, he didn't know that was going to happen, but this album came out and it just, it spoke perfectly to the mood of the country at that time in relation to race and like police injustice and things like that. Um, You know, and I think Killer Mike is just a, a great voice for, you know, the black community he he has been for a really long time and um the new album by run the jewels just came out at the perfect time to really like address some of those issues that were you know needed to be addressed there are other favorites but that's like those are my top favorites mm, i gotta listen to that run the jewels album i need to spend more time with phoebe bridgers I hadn't really listened to much of her music other than kind of like you were saying with Julia Jacqueline, like it would come on my, I actually probably the opposite. Like I was probably listening to Julia Jacqueline radio last year and Phoebe was coming on where it was Funny. the opposite for you. Yeah. 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 Um, that goddamn algorithm works for us. But you know, this is why I really wanted to do this sort of episode is like, yeah, there is an algorithm and it does work. And like, we're laughing about that, but ultimately like, my favorite way to get music and recommend music is this, like with friends and making mix CDs and road trips. And I think we just leave people with this, but I'm so grateful for you and our friendship. And I just think you're so wonderful. I could talk about a million more things. I just want to say, I'm going to just list off what I've been listening to like in the last week, which is a lot of Frankie Cosmos. Do you ever listen to Frankie? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, definitely. uh, uh, Some, I need to listen to more, but she's great. A lot of Frankie Cosmos, current joys, because my friend Sophie is friends with him and just brought it up the other night. And so I was listening to it. And then a song that like, I just want to mention this year, this is not a new song, but the LCD sound system song, All of My Friends. Oh, so good. Classic. Classic. On my road trip with Carolina, she has this sound, she has a playlist called Life Soundtrack. And it's like all of her all-time favorite songs. And we were listening to that playlist and this song came on while I was driving and she like read me the lyrics and she's like, this is about like turning 30 and the party being over. And like, the, you know, just, it felt like very, you know, both of us left New York this year and it just, yeah, it felt like a song that I just kept turning to this year. And yeah, so basically that, I've been listening to a lot of Frank Ocean this week. Um, oh, so good. So good. And yeah, it's basically, I feel we just threw a lot of people, but you know, I think we do this every year and I'm just, I'm really grateful for you and our friendship and all of this music. It's been really meaningful to me. It's honestly such a blessing to have, I mean, you know, I, no matter what mood I'm in, like if a favorite artist, you know, has a new album that I can listen to, that's just so, it's just so fun to see what people can, can come up with. Like when music has been around since God knows how many centuries music has been a thing and young people can still pick up instruments and come up with something that's new and unheard and speaks to the time we live in. So it's, it's truly one of my favorite things. It brings so much joy to my life. <laughs> 
So thank you so much for having me on your show to talk, to talk about it. This is, this is so fun. Dude, me too. I am so happy that you're here. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with or anything else that you wanted to, to share? You feel good. I feel good. You know, I, I've got a lot of um, work to do to, to catch up on some of the local Austin artists now that I've lived here. So I'm starting to do some, it's, it's different to walk into a store and have like country music playing. So, um, I need to assimilate myself to this local culture and kind of like learn some of the local stuff that's, that's down here in Texas. Oh man. I, I just had a thought, James, I feel like we're going to be, I just see us like our friendship being like very live music focused. Like we will meet up in a city for a show and go see some of our favorite artists, maybe Waxacachi someday. And that's something that we didn't mention in this episode that I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say this about 2020 is that like so much great music came out, yet many of these artists never got to perform it or tour it. And, you know, I just keep thinking about like what you said about Fiona Apple's album of like, it's such a one woman show and it would have been really interesting to see her perform that live. I don't know if she would have a ton, but yeah, it just a very specific year for yeah and it's it's sad it's sad too because you know artists don't make a lot of money off their streams you know they really do rely on touring for their income so it's tragic that you know struggling artists you know don't up-and-coming artists right now don't have really a means to profit from their art the way they used to so um hopefully that changes quickly yeah yeah support artists buy their merchandise and do what you can um, we'll put in the show notes some ways to do that. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for you, James. And thank you for the music. <laughs> Same to you, Katie. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Let's end with the let it out deep breath. Ready? Inhale. Let it out. <sighs> <sighs> All right. That was my conversation with James. Isn't he great? I love him so much. Follow everything he does read his book, check out his Instagram. And now for my conversation with Sophia, the founder of Nutrafol. And again, just a conversation I wasn't expecting. We talk a lot about hair and hiding and eating disorders and body image and the pandemic and taking care of ourselves. So enjoy this conversation and I'll check in with you at the end. Have you always worn your hair curly? Ah, uh, yeah. I'm a big, like, for me, I just, I like, like the natural look, but also like, I feel like it, it's just, it's one of my things. It's like, it's like my staple. Yeah. Um, beautiful. I haven't really, whenever I go to the hairdresser, they always want to straighten it to give me like a cut and then afterwards, oh, don't you want it differently? And I just like, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. It suits no. you. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. It's very, it's unusual for me to have my hair straight. And when I do, I feel kind of like not myself. Yeah. Well, tell me about, tell me everything. <laughs> where, where did you grow up and how did you come to work in the career that you do working with hair? I grew up somewhere very far away. You would have probably never guessed where I'm from. And when I say it, people think it's really cold. I'm going to ask you, why don't you guess? <laughs> somewhere really cold. What do you think of when you think of cold? I think of Alaska and I think of... But I'm an immigrant. Right, right, right. Okay. I think of... Hmm. 
I know Greenland's pretty cold and I know, oh, like Russia? Yeah. What's like yeah. the coldest place in Russia though? Like you probably oh. oh, it's going to bug me. What is it called? It's going to bug you if I say it. Yep. Oh, give me the first letter. S. Siberia. Yeah. <laughs> is it really cold? That's the first question I get. Siberia is really big, so it's hard to say. Like, it is definitely colder than here. There are areas that in Siberia that are considered to be the coldest areas in the world where they reach like minus 60 degrees Celsius. But where I'm from, it goes up to like negative 40 or something in the winter sometimes. But, and I lived there up until I was 11. So I grew up there. And, uh, and then we, my family and I immigrated to the US and I grew up in Brooklyn where a lot of the Russian Jewish immigrants live when they come to the US in New York. And so, and I went to school, I went to school for medicine. I went to med school. I get trained in dermatology and in ENT. I kind of had a bit of a switch of careers. And then I took a break both times because I felt very overwhelmed and stressed out. And my body was kind of, you know, a little bit decompensated as a result of the of the impact of of really a lot of the uh, what you call burnout right and when i took a break i got really interested in integrative medicine and botanicals and energy work yoga meditation all those things that are actually very important uh, and diet and nutrition for us to be healthy but how i i'll tell you the story of how i got to the hair part is that i also was someone suffering very young. I had a I had a bout with an eating disorder when I was like in my late teens. And I think a lot of girls have that issue. And you know, it's kind of like a self-image thing growing up in the early 90s. And then I lost a lot of hair during that time, which was very unusual for somebody so young, right? And then I realized that as I was going through my life, whenever I was really stressed out, like in periods of stress during college even or medical school and residency, I had a lot of hair shedding. So a lot of hair was being lost. And I think not everybody loses hair when they're stressed, but I have a genetic predisposition. My dad is pretty bald, you know. So for me, it was kind of like triggering this very visible thinning. And I know it doesn't look like that because I have really big curly hair. So I think a lot of times, and it's healthier now, it's much more vibrant and, you know, it's definitely much healthier. But even then, I think I was able to sort of hide it a little bit, but it brought a lot of shame. It brought a lot of like this sort of under, you know, a lot of now what I know, a lot of women, you know, enter that to have a lot of, when they face something like this, they tend to suffer in silence. And that was me. So in addition to being burnt out, I was having a lot of this, you know, personal story with the, with, with hair thinning. And um, a lot of it was definitely stress related. And as I took my break, I met my two business partners who were already kind of on their, you know, path towards creating Nutrafol. And so we, we came together because they had their own stories. They had their own health and hair health and hair wellness and hair thinning stories and and um, and we came together because we were, we were all three of us were all very passionate about integrative health and botanicals and figuring out things for ourselves. And when we figured out things for ourselves, that's how we you know decided to create the company and spread the word because um, it, it it all made sense. So that's kind of my story of how I wound up here. Yeah, I love that. It, it's so interesting because you know before we started recording, we're wearing matching outfits. <laughs> 
<laughs> and yes. we have similar hair texture. Mine is blown out right now, but I was mentioning, you know, it's so beautiful. And you were like, yeah, it's kind of my thing. And, you know, it's just, I become hair is such an identity, you know? And I think it's interesting that you brought up your eating disorder and, you know, people who listen to this podcast, a lot of people in this community are recovered from eating disorders or somewhere in that because of me and my history with it that I'm so fully open with here. But it's really interesting because I also, and I've, you know, gone up and down with it, but my, the, the first time when I was, you know, in treatment, when I was younger, I lost a lot of hair and that was something that happened again. The most recent, well, I guess I call it relapse a couple of years ago, the same thing happened. But I think for you and I, because I have so much hair, it isn't really noticeable. And this is going to sound bad, but I actually really like it when I have less hair because oh. I have so much that it makes it a bit flatter. But I don't know if that's also, you know, an eating disorder, like standard of beauty thing of like trying to make myself smaller. Um, oh. Which is really interesting. But even now, like because my hair is growing back and, and I'm taking Nutrafol, obviously, since you guys have been sponsoring. And I'm, I ha- I'm in this kind of weird in-between growth period where because it was just a couple of years ago that I had lost a lot of hair, I have these like... The top of my head is really big and fluffy because my hair is growing back from where I had, had lost it and the pieces that you know are coming in are are kind of more curly and and new and it's just really interesting you know how women are so affected by this and how it it's so interesting that it's like something that we're doing probably it's a mental health situation but it's also you know impacted by standards of beauty and and how the world views women but also affects different areas of our body because our bodies are so connected to what we're eating and how we're living. And so it's just fascinating to hear that that was part of your story as well. Oh, thanks for saying that. You know, I'm not, I kind of tend to really, I think it was hard initially for me to admit it. And I think it's a lot, I think maybe that's a lot of women, but I think once I admitted it and I was able to, to come to terms with my history and not judge myself for it, I think I was able to be okay. Okay, with the fact that okay that this happened and it caused this, but it's you know it's it's interesting to say that because any stress, like you said, like our bodies are so connected, it's really like any stress, whether it's physiological, something where you know you can lose a lot of weight, and and all of a sudden the body goes into sort of like a fight or flight response, which is trying to save and build in you know take nutrients and give it to the the organs that 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 are needed for survival. And so it takes it away from things that are not necessary to us. I mean, we we think our hair is necessary to us, but our bodies want to preserve our life, <laughs> yeah. not make us prettier. So for our bodies right now, like it does, it's not that necessary to have hair. And so when we do come into situations of stress, whether it's stress from a physiological insult, like a illness or, or surgery or a eating disorder or any kind of weight loss at a sudden, then that's what happens. But also when we are hit with trauma or any other psychological or psycho-emotional things, like for instance, right now, the times are very stressful. And so we wind up, again, our bodies kind of like go into fight or flight and take all the nutrients and, you know, and, and pull them inwards towards the, 
organs that are necessary to survive any kind of stress, whether it's emotional or physical. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating how you you know hearing this and in, in your your personal experience, and then also your credentials being a doctor and how you you know came to find your your partners for Nutrafol. It shows you know how much research goes into this. And I think so many women, you know, want to have their hair grow or, or wear, like you were saying, you know, at the beginning, like wearing it natural. I mean, that's, I, my friend just had me on her YouTube channel. She's a beauty YouTuber. And I was talking about my makeup routine and I was like, you know what? I only wear makeup because I'm like trying to, I just want to wear no makeup, but it's like, I'm trying to cover up like where I had a pimple and like just a few things. And, and really I grew up with a mom who like never left the house without makeup and like blowing out her hair. And, you know, we have like an interesting hair texture in our family that, you know, I never really knew how to work with as a child. And so I think this leaning towards natural is something that I want because it's so different than how I grew up. And I think many of us have that. And sure, I'm vain. I think we all have vanity within us, but I think it's because wanting to wear my hair natural and wanting to have my skin be more natural, all of that, while also feeling my best and like feeling like I like what I see in the mirror. And again, I think that does come from vanity, but I think it also is true that when I like my outfit or I feel like I'm having an okay hair day or you know, my skin is clear... I'm kinder to other people. I'm more present. I'm able to, I'm less distracted, you know? And so there really is an interesting connection there, you know? Yeah, I do. I agree with you. I often struggle with that, actually. I think for myself, I often struggle between not being too vain, as in like, is it bad to wear makeup? No. <laughs> it makes us feel good, right? And at the same time, not feeling too like preoccupied with anything. Yeah. So feeling good, making sure like I look good for myself and and also not get too preoccupied with anything superficial. That's kind of my my thing. I try my best not to go into that into that world of making sure I look perfect. And I think, I think it's actually really nice that we have imperfections. I think when it comes to hair, though, when I was young, for instance, I'll give you an example. When I was little, and I totally get you when you say like the texture that you didn't know how to like deal with. My hair was a big poof, you know, and it was really, really, really funny because when I came as a teenager here, like I just really didn't know what to wear, what to like, how to speak English, like how to interact with, you know completely different culture shock. I came from a communist country, like all those things, right? But I think one thing that I remember really having a hard time with is figuring out, not until high school did I ever figure out that you can use things in your hair to make it look like like it's not a big poof. But I think the reason I was doing that was really to fit in. Because at that time, it was really like, I feel like every there's a standard of beauty that has to be beautiful. I wanted my hair so badly to be straight, so badly. I hated it. I hated it so much because I was like, well, this is just so funny and weird looking. And today I'm so, I feel so blessed for it. (laughs) I feel so blessed that I don't have to do anything to it. I don't have to like iron. I don't have to, you know, just, just, I think, but I do think it is a defining 
feature for us. I think a lot of times, the reason why I think women are so incredibly attached to to like the way it looks and feels is because it's just kind of like shapes us. And yeah. and again, I want to say very, very kindly that like that women that are bald, they're, they're just as beautiful. And that's the thing that, you know, everybody, it's whatever your comfort level is. And also like what you see as beautiful for yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. And, and I, when, I, when we look in the mirror and we do see that we're thinning or we see hair in our, in our shower, something like that. It is, it, it's a, it's a very troubling thing, especially for a woman, because the one thing that we know is that hair changes through your lifetime. Also, it's not just the stress that's going to impact you. It's not just the things, but it's also like it, you'll age, right? And hair ages too. So even if, and, and the one thing that we're not really prepared for as women usually is that that thing that we might change in the future or that, that might change with certain you know life moments and like pregnancy post pregnancy a lot of women lose hair menopause you know around menopause a lot of women lose hair or hair quality changes and what happens is that we're we're often told like we're going to get wrinkles and we're going to get you know our bodies that change we're just kind of like we're actually prepared for it but I think when it comes to hair, it's just that we're not actually prepared for it as women because it's such a taboo subject that we don't talk about it. It's yeah. not like a natural process that happens to us. It's not like something that could ever happen. And so it becomes like a really shameful thing for a lot of people, a lot of women especially. They don't even want to admit it to themselves. And again, like I want to go back to that idea, like, is it vain? No, I don't think it's vain. I think it's also about how... I think a lot of times also like the health of our hair like is really a way of for us to see what's happening internally. So that's kind of the way that I approach it from our perspective on nutrition, right? Uh, from Nutrafol is that I think part of the mission is to like destigmatize this idea that, that it should be, should be ashamed to talk about it because the worst thing you can do is not have, not be able to take control of something that's happening to you. And I don't think that's a vain process. I think that's really, truly taking control. And I think a lot of times the stress of your hair changing also comes with the aspect of not having control over it. Yeah. And so from our perspective, or at least from my perspective, is it's like the ability to do something about it from a very natural standpoint and from a very integrative mindset that you're also just targeting things from the inside out. I would like to wrap up with learning, you know, a little bit about like, how does Nutrafol, I've been taking them for, I don't know, maybe a month and a half now. How does it work? Like what is in there and why I love it. And I, I, I really love everything about the company. Like I like that. And when I, you're about growing and not just your hair, but in other ways, I love you and everyone that I've communicated with at oh, the company. Thanks which I think makes me like the products more, but I would love to know, you know, how does it actually work? I've done a little bit of research and obviously I read the ads on the podcast, but I would love to hear it from you. You know, it sounds like it's so expertly crafted. Thank you for saying that. Yes. So when I came in, I think the most important thing for me, from my standpoint, because I came from a very Western medical evidence-based doctor world, right? And it was really important to combine the the science the, so that the knowledge and the wisdom of Eastern medicine with the evidence-based approach of Western medicine in a sense that we wanted to make sure that all of our ingredients are clinically tested and that the product is also clinically tested and that the ingredients are the highest quality, that they're standardized, meaning that you, know, you can buy herbs in the market, but you don't know how much of the 
most active component is in them. So these are what we call medical grade ingredients because we just, it's the quality of the actual ingredients that makes a difference. That makes it a lot more bioavailable sometimes, but the bioavailability is something where the body is able to utilize nutrients better. Or It's like combining the science so that using biotechnology and these strides in science that we've had over the last few years and combining it with the Eastern medicine knowledge, the Ayurvedic knowledge and all of botanicals. And the botanicals that we use are specifically targeting underlying triggers or underlying causes of hair thinning, which are in sometimes similar and sometimes a little bit different depending on your age and depending on your gender. So we have a men's formulation, we have a women's formulation, but and we have a formulation for women that is specifically in menopausal stages. So women who are transitioning through menopause, because that just happens to be one of the life events in a woman that could trigger hair thinning or changes in hair quality. And the ingredients in there, such as curcumin, my favorite ingredient is ashwagandha, which is a stress adaptogen. So it actually helps and has been clinically shown to rebalance stress hormones in the body. Stress hormones are incredibly detrimental and dangerous to the follicle because they can, we just talked about that, you know, stress just in general, follicles are incredibly sensitive to stress. So this particular botanical and, and in general stress adaptogens as ingredients they really help the body build resilience to stress. So if you're encountering stress, you can dampen that response of fight or flight. And immune supporters like our curcumin and also hormone rebalancers like Sopalmetto, which start which targets dihydrotestosterone. And finally, things that, you know, we also want to address the environmental triggers, such as any free radicals or oxidative stress that the body encounters over the course of the time it's aging, but also just anything that comes from the outside, right? And for the women's balance, we have extra ingredients such as maca, which is also one of my favorite, which is an adaptogen. Adaptogens just help your body adapt for specifically for hormones as those hormones are changing during that woman's life stage. So the way that we perceive all of these causes fundamentally are going to, or disruptions in the body are going to disrupt the way that the hair cycle and hair growth in the follicle. So when you address all of these, you know, that's how we support the body and support the environment for, for healthy hair growth, basically from the inside out with the addition of other ingredients and nutrients and vitamins and minerals. So these are much more, I think the way to explain it, these, these are much more than just vitamins and minerals because they provide much more than just nutrition. And, um, and they really work by rebalancing your body from within because that's really where hair growth starts. Um, that's something what we call hair wellness because it's not like hair care, right? We're not applying things from the top. It's very different from anything that we wanted to create something very, very scientifically based and also very natural and free of, of any toxins or any additives. Because we, again, we made this for ourselves and our families and then we wanted to kind of bring it out to the rest of the world. I love that. I'd love to know a little bit more about you. What have you been learning since, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic and a strange year? What have you been learning lately personally? And what is your favorite part of your life right now? Hmm, great question. Ooh, it's so much. It's so much. I've learned so much. <laughs> it's been one giant roller coaster, as I know I'm sure it is for everyone else. 
I think the biggest thing that I I learned is, you know, it, the very first when it first hit really was for me to to find ways to um, stay sane, to find ways to center myself. And I think a lot of people in this stressful time when there's so much uncertainty, we're finding ways to stay sane, to stay connected to our favorite things, to really focus on our own well-being. For me, the things that I've learned are like cooking. <laughs> I've become a much better cook. And I've also learned how to connect to my community, especially in the beginning, without ever having physical contact, which is very strange for me because I'm a very physically contact-oriented person. And that was really hard, but I dance. So I dance a lot and I dance a lot on Zoom. This is one of the ways that I meditate. This is one of the ways that I kind of get in. And one of the best things is just being like staying connected through that to the rest of my my tribe. And that's been really helpful. And so finding new ways to connect was really a big, big, big learning for me. Maintaining and, and fostering relationships has been the biggest thing since the pandemic hit for sure. And, you know, again, focusing on that because I can, I don't know, it's just so important. It's just like the most important thing in our lives, right? Is relationships and how do you keep relating through this, this crazy time? I think for me, I learned to focus on what's important because I think through a stressful time like this and when everything again is uncertain, there's a, a lot of clarity comes in what is really present for us as, as, as human beings. So finding ways for self-care, relationships, connecting, all of those things came forth for me during this time. And of course, and I'm just making it like, like it's been so long now. So it's kind of like we're used to it, but initially, oh, it was so hard, so hard, yeah. so hard. And I, and actually, to be honest with you, I started losing hair again. Mm. Yeah. And and I started shedding again, and I wasn't as compliant as I should have been with my with my supplements initially. You know, so I got much better. I got much better at supplements, that's for sure. It's really interesting how you said that. Of like, God, it was so hard at the beginning, and now we're kind of used to it. Like, I never thought we'd get to a place where that's the reality of the situation. You know, that we're kind of used to it. Like, it's just so bizarre to me. But it's bizarre. All of it is completely yeah. bizarre. And it's interesting what you said about taking your supplements too, because I've I've found that like I've been in the last couple of weeks like pretty diligent about my supplements in a way that I hadn't been. And I feel like, you know, there's something about that moment and taking that moment for myself that just feels correct right now. It's self-care. It's the it's it, you know, it's the one way that I think even also in the beginning of the of the pandemic, I think I was very diligent with my immune supplements too. And when I travel now in these days, and sometimes I do because I have a, a, I have a relationship that, you know, my relationship is, is across the other side of the country. So I'm forced to travel. But when mm-hmm. I do, I think it's just, it's like, it's that control. It's that being able to say, oh, I, I just, I'm getting on the plane, but I'm going to take all the stuff. And then, you know, how do I keep my immunity up? And, and how do I take precautions? It's having, it's our way of taking control of the situation. And I think whether it's the control of the situation of the pandemic or of anything else, it's just, it's our way of being able to contribute to our own well-being. Yeah. And 
And it's the same, the same thing goes for, for hair, I think, you know, it, it takes a little bit stress off of, of your shoulders once you know that you can, you've done something for yourself today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can create momentum maybe of doing more. <laughs> it's a habit formation. It's a lifestyle. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, what I'm realizing too, I'm not perfect by any means. I have to force myself to do things, yeah. <laughs> you Me know, too. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's a habit formation. It's a lifestyle. And I'll tell you, when I was in medical school and in residency, you know, we never learned. We never really like, we, we were not educated as doctors about nutrition or, or, or self-care and lifestyle was not a conversation either. And I ate crappy food. You know, I drank tons of Coca-Cola and, you know, what do you expect? So what is, what are the little steps that we can take? We're, we're thinking that everybody is already in, on board with not drinking Coca-Cola and not doing, no, no, we have our vices. I'll do that once in a blue moon. I'm not saying you should ever do that, but it's a habit formation. Like for me, like even taking sugar out of my diet for a large extent or becoming or other things, it's, it's, it takes time. I think we can never be perfect about it, but I think if you do a little bit, <laughs> you can get, a, you can get farther and farther along. Yeah. Fully. Oh, well, it was so nice talking to you. And I'm so happy that you were here on Let It Out. As you know, the name of this podcast is Let It Out. So is there anything else that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about? Anything that you want to let out? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'll tell you. No, I'm not allowed to scream, right? No, okay. You can, um, you can do whatever. <laughs> That's what I do in my dance. I was just going to say, I scream in my car sometimes. It's <laughs> a great way to let it out. I think everyone should have the ability to scream, cry, and do whatever the hell they want. That's the, one of the biggest ways that we can get stress out of our bodies. Besides that, because I am going to dance soon, I, I think my biggest thing is that I just, you know, for me, I hope this gets across, is that I think it's really important what you're doing is having a conversation, but uncomfortable conversation. So for me, it's really important that, you know, if there's one thing that gets across in our conversation today is that hair should just be a normal conversation for women. And it's not always the case. So my biggest thing about it is that let's talk about it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm fully available. If anybody wants to contact me, you know, whatever it is, I just think that it's the more we talk, the less it becomes a taboo subject and the more we can really support those women out there that are sort of in silence. And I think that silence is a, is a stress in itself. I completely agree. And I feel the same way about bodies and eating disorder and skin, you know, like I remember I had really terrible acne a couple of years ago and like many years ago now actually. And I mean, I've had it multiple times, but in this particular situation, I remember just talking about it with my boyfriend at the time and just saying like, hey, uh, I feel self-conscious about this. And it was like so freeing, you know? And so I think any of these physical things that we're like having to manage and hide ourselves, if we can let them out, they dissipate and we can feel connected again and not like we're hiding something. Because I think that's like kind of what I was trying to say before with makeup or wearing your hair a certain way. Like it's about when it's about hiding something and not fun and enhancing something, I think that's where we need to look and 
and change, honestly. That's actually a really good point. When it's about hiding something, I like that. I think that's actually very true. And guess what? When you let something out like that, you'd probably find that a lot of other people will say the same thing. So I think it's also one of those things where I'm feeling when I have something, I'm thinking I'm the only one I have who has it. <laughs> when I yeah. say it out loud, I find out that there's others. And when I know that there's others, I don't feel alone. And again, I'm not as as consumed by it and, and become it like dissipates. You get support. You get to have support. Yeah, exactly. Because it's when we're alone, like shame can't exist when it's shared, right? It's it's when we're alone that it is really gnarly. Anyway, well, thank gnarly. you so much for being here. We end Let It Out with taking a deep breath. So are you ready? Sure. Thank- I just want to say thank you so much, Katie. You're wonderful. I really appreciate being on here. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, so inhale. Exhale. That's always a little bit better. Thank you so much for being here. You're wonderful. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. That was my conversation with Sophia. She's really cool, obviously. And I hope you discovered some new music or you got to hear us gush about music you already love. Support artists, like I said, I would love to see you at these writing workshops, either the one tonight, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, or for our Resolution Reframe two-part series. You're so wonderful. I'm so happy you're here. Happy holidays. Follow Let It Out on Instagram. It's Let It Out with three T's. We're doing a lot of really cool stuff there and that community is growing and a lot of our previous guests are doing takeovers. I think James is going to do a takeover and, you know, I'm popping on there most of the time and it's a really cool community. We're doing some Instagram lives and journaling sessions and it's cool so i'd love to see you there you can obviously follow me i'm at katie dalebout and the emoji for this week's episode is the headphones so put that on my instagram comment it on my most recent post and i'm going to choose someone that i'm going to send a care package to so if you are listening right now comment on my latest instagram post the headphones lets me know that you listened all the way to the end comment that also on james's instagram and i'm going to give a care package to a winner. So again, happy freaking new year. I am <laughs> what a year of change for all of us in growth, hopefully, and reflection and just nothing we were expecting probably. All right. Talk to you in the new year. Bye-bye. <laughs>